0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Amen. to God.
1: All right, we are uh, looking today at Proverbs 3, as it's been read for us. And uh, we're between series right now. We just finished up First and Second Thessalonians last week. And I always plan a little bit of a week or two between series, just in case I want to do something a little different, uh, out of the ordinary. And, uh, and also, but it's our normal practice to go through series, go through books of the Bible. Um, actually, we'll have a series starting next week on the kings of Israel, and we're going to do that through Advent. So Advent doesn't start next week, uh, but it does the week after. We're going to introduce that series next week. But we had one week uh, in between, and I wanted to look today at Proverbs chapter 3, which is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, one that I've quoted, gone to so many times, and, and yet I don't think that I've ever preached a sermon on it. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to do so. We're going to be talking about trusting in the Lord. We're told throughout the Scriptures that we need to trust in the Lord, and it can be kind of an abstraction. I don't really know what trusting in the Lord means. What does that look like in real time? I think we all know that we should. I think we all know that uh, we've seen people in our lives that we think, well, they really trust the Lord. But it's hard to know exactly exactly what that is. And I want to look at Proverbs 3 and, and also to get very practical, especially at the end of uh, the service today, to give you some guidance on ways that you can grow in trusting the Lord. So if we were to play a word association game with the word trust, which is what I did earlier this week, I, I'm not kidding in saying the very first thing that came to my mind was Indiana Jones. Uh, so that's, that's just what came into my mind. Uh, some of you will know Indiana Jones. This is part of your cultural upbringing. Uh, part of your story is that you've watched the Indiana Jones movie. Some of you, maybe who are younger, maybe know that it's a thing, but this is not something that uh, you've spent a lot of time on. And uh, let me just, just tell you uh, where I was getting this idea of trust with that association. Uh, if you're uninitiated into the lore of Indiana Jones... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I think it came out in the late 1980s. And so part of my childhood was watching The Last Crusade. It's an adventurous story. Indiana Jones is trying to get the Holy Grail. He's trying to get to the, the place where the Holy Grail is stored. And uh, in, it becomes clear near the end of the movie that Indiana Jones is going to have to go through a series of tests to find the Holy Grail, where it's stored in this ancient cavern, and he has to go through a series of tests and pass them in order to reach it. And what made me think about trust is I thought about the leap of faith. That is one of his tests. In his search for the grail, he comes out of a rock area, and he sees a drop-off, a cliff. And he has to get to the other side. There's a huge uh, abyss between him and where he needs to be. And, um, and so he realizes that he's going to have to get to the other side. How is he going to do that? He has to take a leap of faith. He has to trust. And, um, and so he realizes what he has to do. And it's really in two stages. There's no dialogue in this part of the movie. I re-watched it this week on YouTube. It's just, it's just adventure music, okay? And he comes to the edge of the cliff, and the first thing that he does is he remembers. He, he remembers that he needs some information. He takes out his... Um, His map, I don't even remember where he got this map, but you know, this these little clues, and he sees there's a cavern that he's gonna have to cross, and that he is going to have to step out, trusting that there is a bridge there, a bridge that he cannot see. So that's the first thing that he does is he remembers. But then you see him do something else. He releases. Now, these are my words that I'm giving it. There's no dialogue in the movie, but he comes to the edge of the cliff and you can see what he's doing. He closes his eyes. He visibly relaxes his face. And what he is doing, presumably, is he's releasing. He's releasing his understanding of gravity. He's releasing perhaps his scientific worldview. He's releasing his knowledge of reason and experience that if you step off of something that isn't there that you're going to fall, and you can see him just believing it, right? He's, he's beginning to trust, and then he takes the step off, and he falls onto a bridge, and then the bridge is, is visible, but he remembered first, and then he released. That's what he did, and so he learned to trust. Now, I'm really thankful that God does not require a bridge test uh, for us to have faith in him right? Uh, And we're not doing uh, trust exercises today, don't worry. We're not doing any trust falls. Maybe you did those at camp when you were growing up where you have to fall backwards and trust that somebody is there. I mean, I guess those have their place sometime. Um, But that's not what fully what we're talking about here. But we are talking about believing in something, trusting in something that is sometimes hard to know, hard to experience. And I actually think that those two movements of trust are both really important. And what Proverbs 3 lays out for us is there is the movement of remembering and there is the movement of releasing. And that's where we find trust. We remember who God is and we release the other things that we are trusting in. Here's what I want us to see today. We learn to trust in the surprising abundance of the Lord when we remember who He is and release the other things that we trust. We remember who He is, and we release the other things that we trust. What I want to tell us this morning is that the Scriptures say that when we do those two things, we actually find a surprising abundance. What I mean by that is we have desires for things, we have things that we want, we have experiences of life that we want to have, And actually trusting in the Lord is the most wise way to get those things. There is actually an abundance on the other side of giving your life to the Lord in trust. So let's look at the two things. Remember and release. First, there's things that we need to remember. This is the first four verses. In verse 1, we're told the first thing that we need to remember is the teaching or the commandments of God. My son do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Don't forget, he says, in other words, remember, my son, my teaching, my commandments. Now, this is Solomon writing, maybe to an actual son, maybe uh, to just the idea of a son in Proverbs But this is more than the commands of Solomon, of course. We believe that Proverbs is in the Bible. This is God's command. And when he talks about the commands of the Lord, he's talking about the whole history of who God is and who he has revealed himself to be. The commands of God are actually a pathway for trusting in God. How so? Because the commands of God reveal God's character. I mean, think about it. When you, are, when you receive a command from the Lord, if you're told this is how you should live, do this, thou shalt not do this, there's really two ways that you can take a command. You can see it as restrictive. You can see it as, as narrowing your life. You can see it as um, shackling you to a certain perspective. Or you can see that the command has a purpose and a context of love. That's certainly what we want our kids to see when we give them commands, when we are at our best as parents. We want them to see the reason why I say you shall not play in the street is because I love you and I want you to be safe. That's what we want our children to see. Do we know that that's the reason that God gives us commands as well? Actually for us to grow in trust in him. He actually says, I love how he says in verse one, let your heart keep my commandments the heart being the inner being. The, let, it's not just that I want you to keep these commands because I desire obedience. It's I want you to see. I want your heart to follow after my teaching. And when we see that, we see that God has a great desire for us to see his love. Think about the Ten Commandments, the most famous commands given in the scriptures. Sometimes we forget that the context and the purpose of the commands, the Ten Commandments, was God's gracious love. How did the Ten Commandments begin? Well, the first one is Thou sh- sh- you shall have no other gods before me, but before that command is a remembrance. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I have done this for you. I rescued you. The commands of God had a context of grace, of Him already rescuing His people. And in that gracious context, He tells them how to live. I rescued you. I care about you. Now follow these commands. And actually, if you look at some of the commands, the first command with a promise, we're told, is honor your father and mother. This command says that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Honor your father and mother, so we see not just the gracious context, we see even in that command a gracious reason that your days would be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. Same thing here, let your heart keep my commandments, verse 1, verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The commands of God show us God's desire for us to have a good long life, in other words. So we trust in Him. We trust the God who cares about the length of our lives, who cares about us enough to have our hearts follow His commands. There's two other things that we need to remember. He says, remember also the love of God and the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. There's things that we need to write on the tablets of our hearts and bind around our neck. In other words, to remember. And what are those things? The steadfast love of God. Steadfast love. That word so often used in the Old Testament, hesed, it's God's Covenant love for His people. His faithfulness, often translated loving kindness. It is this care that He has for His people. And also faithfulness, highlighting His steadfastness and His commitment. Both of these are attributes of God and that's what what He wants them to bind on their around their neck, and write on the tablet of their heart. That language itself is used of the law in the Old Testament, that the law of God should be written on our hearts, that it should be written on the tablet of our hearts, it should be hung around our necks. In other words, keep this close at hand. Keep this close of all the things that you need. You need to know that God has a steadfast love for you and a faithfulness, a commitment to you. Again, there is an abundance attached to it. The first promise was that you will live long in the days, that you have length of days and years of life. Here he says, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, let's pause and talk about the promises of Proverbs because this makes us wonder. Is this always true? Does this always happen? Can I take this to the bank? The way that Proverbs works is that it gives us wisdom. we, We did a whole series on the book of Ecclesiastes a few months ago, where we said, you know, in many ways, Ecclesiastes is the foil to Proverbs, that it tells us the exceptions to the rules, that not always do these things work out. But wisdom, the wisdom of Proverbs says that this is what most often happens, that, that if we plant in the fall, that if we work hard, that, then we will harvest later, that this, there's wisdom in following God, in other words. And so it's not as though we hold tight to these promises and say God can't work outside of these things. It's not as though we, we definitely don't say that it's our faith or the amount of faith that we have that makes these promises true. Rather, we say this is wisdom and let's live in it and expect God's promises to come true and still have faith in him when the different things are challenged. But generally speaking, the best way to have a long life is to follow the commands of God. And generally speaking, to have favor and good success in the sight of man and God, we do so when we remember God's faithfulness and we write his steadfast love and faithfulness on our hearts. We need to remember things in order to trust God. These are the central things that he says that we make sure we call to mind. Remember. But that's only part of trusting in God. The second part, and really where the majority of this passage lies, is in releasing other trusts. Releasing other things that we put our confidence in. So we remember certain things But we also, there are things that we need to release. There are three of them I want us to see here in these remaining verses. The first is that we release the need for self-reliance. Release the need for self-reliance. Look at verse 5 and following with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now this flies in the face of our human impulse ever since the Garden of Eden. Our impulse in the Garden of Eden we're told is you shall not surely die. This is When Eve saw that the fruit was desirable to make one wise. We have it built into us since the fall to be wise in our own eyes, to be self-reliant. And I would say that, especially as Americans, this is something that deeply challenges us because we deeply believe in self-reliance. It's part of our story. It's part of our ethos and vibe. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a book called Self-Reliance, and that has become part of the American story. Self-Reliance, that's not often read anymore, his essay on self-reliance, but it has had a huge impact in ways we don't even realize. There's a couple of phrases that I bet you didn't even know came from that little essay that he wrote. To be great is to be misunderstood. That is from self-reliance. How about this one? It's not the destination, it's the journey. That also came from self-reliance. It's this idea written, Emerson was writing, he was in the transcendentalist camp. He wrote to, to capture this unique American spirit, the human spirit of discovery that we can decide things for ourselves, that we can go out and conquer things. This is what he says at one point in the essay. There is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, that he must take himself for better or for worse as his portion, that though the wide universe is full of good, no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him but through his toil, bestowed on that plot of ground which is given for him to till. The power which resides in him is new in nature, and none but He knows that what that is which He can do. Nor does He know until He has tried. In other words, for all the good in the world, all the, the only good that you can do is when you find it within yourself. When you find something within yourself, it becomes new in nature, He says. It becomes a force that maybe you don't even understand yourself. And then you find it, you capture it, and then you release it on the world. That's what... Uh, that's what self-reliance is. And of course, there's something rousing about that. There's something that is, in a way, true about that. We talked just a week or two ago about, in Thessalonians, that we work hard, quietly. We, we earn our own bread. There is a sense in which um, the Scriptures call us to be responsible for our lives. But what Emerson says here is that nothing good can come from us unless it's discovered from within. And until we discover it, we can't can't unleash it on the world. And that is deep within each one of us. But it's actually contrary to what Solomon says here. That trust doesn't just come from finding something in ourselves. It comes in releasing the self. Do not lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes, he says. Trusting in God will require us to have dependence on Him rather than our own understanding. Now when I say that, I'm not saying that God is requiring us to shut down our intellect. He's not telling us, shut up and don't ask questions. He's not saying to us that, uh, that nothing can be known about Him, so just be quiet and read the Bible or something like that. But He is saying that if you believe in God or you believe the things that we've already said we need to remember, that that His teaching gives life, and that, that His steadfast love and faithfulness are the keys to understanding life. It means that if you believe that He is God, you will often find yourself out of your own depths. That's the nature of faith. It's the nature of trust, that we would have a relationship with God such that we don't fully understand Him all the time. What else would trust mean? Trust is different than certainty, in other words. My relationship with you, God says, is not built on you completely understanding me. While we seek to understand, while we have questions, all of us have questions. Trust is not built on full understanding. In other words, we need to tell ourselves that just because we have questions, and all of us do, does not mean that there are no answers. Just because we don't understand something doesn't always mean that it is ununderstandable. That if we're struggling to trust, as many of us do, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is not trustworthy. There could be a gap there, but the gap, the scripture says, is on our side, not on God's. Do not lean on your own understanding. Put your trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, He is the one who's to, to be considered trustworthy, and we are to doubt at times what we understand about Him. It means also that we should shy away from this language of of certainty and, and, and the ways sometimes that we talk about God is as if he's in a test tube or on a spreadsheet or that he, he's a supercomputer and that we kind of input things and now we have a syllogism, a philosophical truth and we trust in it and now we believe and everybody else that doesn't believe is, is wrong. Like that, that kind of mentality is not relational. But God says, just like any other relationship that we have built on trust means that there's going to be a lack of understanding at times. And in that lack of understanding that we find our trust increase in the Lord, not that we find ways to not trust in Him. We need to release some of the things that we really think we need to understand or to, or to have God prove to us. Release that need. The second thing that we release is release the need to possess. Speaking of things that we put false trust and security in, near the top of everyone's list in here would be our possessions, our wealth, our abundance, our income, our success, our, our um, approval in other people's eyes. We could include. We trust in those things. We we want them to be there so that we can feel secure. Solomon says this in verse nine: Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. We put our trust in abundance. Well, what should we do with that? Does that mean that we shouldn't have an abundance? Does that mean that we shouldn't have any wealth? That we shouldn't have any certainty in those things? Should we give it all away? Well, there is a story about that in the New Testament. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and his heart is so entwined with his possessions that that Jesus says to him, sell it all and follow me and the man is unable to do so because his heart is in that completely. I don't believe that that is normative. That is the normal thing that God calls us to do. Though I do think it is a challenging message to us. But what is normative? If that's not normative, what is normative? Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Which means this, often the second line in a proverb explains the first, and with the first fruits of all your produce. That means that when we give of our first fruits back to God, giving back to Him what He has already given to us, that is a movement of trust. It's it's a way for us to live in such a way that's saying, this is really all coming from you. It's honoring to Him, and it actually increases our trust. Just like in the first example when we talked about our own knowledge and our own understanding, God is not saying, get rid of your intellect, get rid of trying to understand me, but He is saying, when you come to that point, you need to acknowledge that you're not going to have all the cards. In the same way, it says, when it comes to your abundance, acknowledge first what I have given you, and then enjoy the things that that I provide. His usual promise, this is not a contract, is that he will give an abundance from that honoring. He says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is not a late night infomercial. I'm not guaranteeing a 10x return on your money. There is no seed of faith here that then will grow into something predictable. That is not the way that it works. However, I do know this the many stories, especially of older people that I've heard who have said this theme over and over again, where they begin to be generous. They began to give away some of their, their provision that God had given them to the church or to others. They began to have a life of generosity, Begin to give the first fruits of their life, and then what God did is bless them beyond the math. I don't know how we're doing better than we did before, but we are doing better, and the Lord is blessing it. That story is my story, and it's so many people that I've heard. It's, it's wisdom. It's normal way that God works, that when you honor Him with your wealth, then He honors you with provision. It's a way that we grow in trust with Him. We release our own understanding. Secondly, we release the need to possess. The third thing that we release is this. We release the need to avoid pain. Pain when it comes into our lives is often the way that we doubt our trust in the Lord. So many people have had the story that they lost their trust in the Lord because of specific pain. But Solomon says here, you count on pain. It's not whether you will receive pain, but what does the pain mean? When I say pain, I'm talking about physical pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. I'm talking about loss. I'm talking about financial pain. I'm talking about the feeling that we get that we know exactly what would make our life better. If I could live there, if I could have this, if I could have this job, the things that we think would make so much sense that we we think, why would you not give this to me, Lord? And there's a sense in which we feel like he's blocking us. What do we do in that pain? What does it mean? Some pain, Solomon says here, is the discipline of the Lord out of His love for us. Verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves Him whom He loves. As a father, the son in whom He delights. Some discipline is pain from the Lord. Again, The best way to talk about it is relationship, like any relationship built on trust. And again, like father and son, as we said with the commandments, when we tell that child do not run in the street, it is out of a love for them, a care for them. But discipline is the same thing, that they would know that we love them. That's what he says here. He reproves him whom he loves. His verses are so significant, the author of Hebrews takes these verses and he he writes about them in Hebrews 12. He gives us this beautiful picture of the discipline of God. It is beautiful. In, in verse 11 of chapter 12, he says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And he's, he's looking right at Proverbs chapter 3 when he wrote that, because it's quoted right above that. He's saying, look, Think about the pain in your life this way. What if it's the training ground for a life of trust in God? Those who have been trained by it know that God loves them in the pain. And then again in Hebrews 12, he says this, God, when He does this, is treating you as sons. Again, he's looking right at verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, for the Lord approves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I cannot read that verse without thinking about the baptism of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes into his ministry, right before he goes into ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist doesn't want to do it. Jesus says, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I need to be a true Israelite. <coughs> and if you know the story, Jesus is led out into the waters and the clouds open up and the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon the sun. And the voice from heaven, which is the Father's, He says, this is My Son with whom I am well pleased. The pleasure of God was on His Son and also, the discipline of God was on His Son. Jesus went to the cross, to the pain of the cross, willingly. He went as a willing servant. He went as one who trusted in the Father. If you see the story of Jesus, you see often He leaves the disciples and goes to be with the Father. He trusts in the Father. When He begins to pray, He, he says, I already know that you're listening and I already know that you care. Jesus lived a life of trusting in the Father, but the Father disciplined the Son and the cross, not because of His wrongdoing, but because He bore the weight of the the sins of the world, the suffering on His shoulders, and He went through that discipline. Why? He went through that discipline so that we, the Scriptures say, can be called the Son's and daughters of God. That we can become into the family. And so now God delights in us as sons and daughters. These promises from Proverbs originally given to Israel and then said about the Son that He is the Son in whom He is delighted, now we receive because we've been grafted into this story. And and now this is our story. We are the sons and daughters in whom God delights. And so if we are looking for a way to trust God, trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, it will only be through trusting in Christ who did trust the Father and even through His discipline was found to be His delight. And in doing so, He brought us into the family of God who now we can trust in the Lord. When we trust in the Lord, there is a surprising abundance. You literally can just read The last part of each of these sections in this passage that we've read, and see the abundance that God gives when we trust in Him. Let's review long life, favor with God and man, straight paths. What am I doing? What's the purpose of my life? Straight paths. Healing to your body. Verse 8 it will be healing to your flesh. And literally, it will be healing to your gut and medicine to your bones. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, you'll be healthier in wisdom most often. Enough security that our barns would be filled. And the delight of a Father. who reproves only those whom He loves. What else do we want? You know, when we're younger, maybe we, we, want, we think of fame, we think of impact, but the older that we get, the more we love the, whatever life we have, that we want the favor of God and man. We want our bodies to be healthy. We want security financially. We want someone to love us. These are the desires of the human heart. These are found only securely in God Himself. That's why trusting in Him gives us these things. Of course, not in a straight line. Of course, not in a way that's a graph that's up and to the right and where we can always understand exactly what God is doing. Of course, not in ways that are like treating like God like a slot machine where we just give an input and He gives an output. That's not the way that it happens. But it does happen surely. It does happen in wisdom that we have an abundance when we trust in the Lord. I want to close today by just equipping us in some ways that we can grow in trust of the Lord. Very practically speaking. How do we actually remember? And how do we actually release? How do we do these things in real time? There is no technique There is no way that we we treat God as I just said. We put inputs and get outputs. This is a relationship. How do you build a trust in any relationship? It takes time. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. But I have found, and I mentioned these things to you today, not as a program, but as an example. That when we think about those two things for our day, we can actually grow in trust of the Lord if we think about a daily remembrance and we think about a daily release. I love Proverbs 3. In many ways, it's the way that I structure my life with God in the morning and in the evening. For example, daily remembrance can be a beautiful thing in the morning. To remember His steadfast love, His faithfulness, and His commands. In other words, that the morning can be a beautiful time when we return to who God is. Remember who He is. This is even a pattern that we see in Scripture itself. I love Psalm 143, verse 8, which says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, and I will trust in you. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, and I will trust in you. In the morning... How do we remember God's steadfast love? There's lots of ways. Here are a few. Reading the Scriptures. Literally just remembering what's in them. What's told to us about who God is. I don't know, how do I read the Scripture? How do I read this? I don't understand it. Here's a simple way. Choose a passage and read it and ask yourself these two questions. What does this teach me about God and what does it teach me about myself? What does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself? But what does it teach me about God will tell you of his steadfast love, of his faithfulness, and of his commands. And so you will remember who God is. What about meditating on the scriptures? You don't always have to read large chunks, right? You can just read one verse and meditate on it. The word for meditation in the Scriptures is literally related to the word chewing. It just means that you're doing something over and over again, extracting what is there. That's chewing. To meditate on the Scriptures. Be a beautiful thing in the morning. Memorization. Literally just taking these words for what it says here, to write them on the tablet of your heart means that you know some things about God, His steadfast love and faithfulness that they're, they're written on your heart. They're in your body. You own them for yourself. That's a memorization. How about being still? Contemplating God. Thinking about some aspect of His character. Seeing how it's been developed in your life or just the last day even. Anything that draws your attention to God helps you remember who He is and it fills you and it feeds you. Daily remembrance, as an example, in the morning. And what I love in the evenings is a daily release. For me, this is in the evening. And I think there's even a pattern in Scripture. With this, I think about Psalm 4, where David is meditating on his bed about the goodness of God. And he says, you've put gladness in my heart and I will fall asleep. I will dwell in safety. See, the release in that, at the, as meditating on his bed in the evening, that is a psalm for the evening, by the way. That psalm shows he's, he's thinking about the goodness of God. He's glad about it. He's also trusting in God for his safety. Daily release. Think about this in the evening. How do we do that? I'll give you the simplest way way that I do all the time. It's a simple prayer that somebody taught me a a while ago, and I think somebody taught them. I don't know where it came from, but it's a beautiful way to pray. It's the simplest thing. You can remember it right now. You pray, I give everything and everyone to you. I give everyone and everything to you. You can pray that multiple times. Then you can pray it in sections. I give everyone to you. And then you name the members of your family. You name your boss. You name the person who is annoying you. You name the person who is causing you strife and grief and keeping you up at night. I give everything to you. And you name the situations that are stressful. And you name the sickness in the household. And you name whatever it is that's going on. The hardship at work. It's a thing that's going on. When you say, I give those things to you, you're not directing God, of course. God is, is, prov- is providential. He, he knows what's going on. He already knows those things. But what you're actually doing is teaching yourself to release the things that you're holding on to, where you're trusting yourself. You're trusting your own mind. I can solve this. You're trusting your own wealth. I can overcome this and it won't, it won't stress me out anymore. You're trusting your own ability to avoid pain. It will be better. I already know that it will be better. I can figure it out. And you're saying, even if it isn't better, and even if I don't have enough, and even if I can't figure it out, I'm still your child. I trust in you. I give everyone and everything to you. Here's another way prayer of examination. That's where you walk through your day prayerfully. Just literally start in the morning. Think about what happened. And you will see there are things to thank God for. There are things to repent of. So you repent of the things you repent of. You give thanks for the things you give thanks for. You rejoice in the joys. You weep in the sorrows. You examine your day with God. You can do this writing it down, journal. Writing a letter to God about the day or about whatever it is. But what you're doing is you're releasing the other things that you're trusting in and returning back to God who you've already remembered from the morning. And there can be a beautiful rhythm there. Remember, release. Be filled, be emptied. Be filled with God. Be emptied of your other trusts. And I have found that morning and evening are the best way. Not that I practice it perfectly, but those are the best days. Morning and evening. And it actually leads to trusting the Lord. And trusting Him leads to an abundance. The things that we actually want our lives to reflect are found in trusting God alone. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would shape us into the people who remember your steadfast love in the morning and trust you, and who lie on their beds at night, releasing our trust in everything else, that you would give us a rhythm of life in you that is a life of abundant trust. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ who gives us that abundant life, who brings us into the family. As we come to your table this morning, pray that you would fill us. We have already repented of our other trusts. We have already said, these are the things that I have put trust in and, and release to you and your sovereign grace and mercy. But we need to be filled. We need Christ, the one who trusted the Father even to the point of death on the cross. So fill us with yourself so that we are abundantly full with what you have provided in your son, Jesus Christ. It's him that we honor and exalt now. And in his name we pray. Amen.